0: and welcome back to the Demonland podcast my name is andy and it was the textbook definition of winning ugly but we banked the four points against a team that is up and coming and in form and once again it was our miserly defense that shone and helped us to our 12th win for the season enabling us to retain top spot for another week joining me tonight is longtime demon lander george good evening george
1: Good evening, Andy. Good evening, everyone. And uh, for this week, we've got twelve wins on the on the uh, ladder uh, on the uh, positive side now. And uh, for his own benefit, Andy is now banned from using the ladder predictor while we keep winning.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the, everything went out the window the, from the first game of the round. I think, with Geelong losing, it, it uh, threw everything out. So uh, we'll have to redo that show again with my new ladder predictor. Um, <laughs> And it was good that we did win because that sort of helped things out for us uh, down the track. But uh, unless we keep on winning, we can't drop games we're meant to win. And uh, we'll talk about all that uh, going forward tonight. Uh, also joining us tonight, B Man. Good evening, B Man. How are you?
2: Good, thanks. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, George. Good evening, Demon Landers. And yes, uh, I thought the latter predictor, you didn't factor in the um, COVID situation, which <laughs> was really given how many different um, <laughs> variables you did put into that ladder predictor. Um, it's interesting you missed that one. So, yeah, we'll definitely have to do that one again.
0: Well, I have talked about my fears of COVID uh, and not fears of the virus, but fears of the uh, fears of the, the footy shutting down because uh, it's a very real possibility. I, I don't, as we were sort of talking pre-show about this, but it's a real possibility, all the teams coming here, that uh, if something happens in Victoria... Uh, We're sort of running out of options. Perhaps we can all go to Tassie um, and hub hub there. Um, I don't know. A
2: more more positive spin on that is footy's coming back to where it belongs and uh, the VFL is back. So the D's might win a VFL grand final and an AFL grand final, the first club to have done both of them in the same season. So um, it could be super exciting having all the, the clubs in town.
0: Well, presumably uh, the Adelaide teams will still be in Adelaide at the moment. Um, So we might not get that Port Adelaide game in Melbourne, but depending on how long this thing goes on, uh, maybe we'll get the Eagles uh, at the G uh, as an added benefit of this. Um, But I think that's still a few weeks away. So I think we're in a lot of trouble, or or Perth is in a lot of trouble, if if they're still having to, to play here.
2: I was looking forward to. Um, I've never been to Adelaide Oval, and I'm super keen to go to that Port uh, D's game over there Saturday week or Friday week, I should say. But um, good thing I didn't book my flights.
0: Are you able to go there at the moment? Is uh, is Victoria open yeah. to South Australia?
2: I think um, South Australia shut their borders to everyone in the whole world, <laughs> yeah. including aliens. Or so. I'm not sure, I don't know. I think they had shut their border, but I'm not sure to us, I'm, they have to everyone else in the country.
1: Maybe we should just give up doing predictions of any sort with this. And <laughs>
0: Especially with COVID. <laughs> One week things. at a time.
1: One week at, One at a, time. Get a time, yes.
0: Things can change very, very quickly. Uh, footy predictions, COVID predictions, it's all out the window. Well, let's talk about uh, this game. Um, uh, in previous years, uh, Melbourne teams would have allowed one one loss uh, to turn into a slump. Um, but I think it's hardening. It's a, the hardening thing is that we've been able to achieve this year is, is finding ways to win. And the old Melbourne would have fallen to a side that got a run of goals on if once they got a sniff. Certainly the Melbourne of 2019 and 2020. And even at times... The, what, the Melbourne of 2018, uh, we probably would have not been able to maintain a lead in the final quarter. We've we we you know we've talked about this for years on the podcast, that we'd bleed goals and that we just couldn't stem the flow. Uh, but that didn't happen this week, um, uh, George. Um, how did do, do you feel going into the last quarter? And I'll ask you as well, Bim Man, um, I, I was sort of confident going into the last quarter. But once they kicked a few goals, that confidence started to wane. How are you, you are George?
1: The last quarter was a little bit little bit different because being a being a football supporter of even any side, when your side's only two goals up, uh, there's always the chance that you could lose the game. But um, it doesn't it doesn't certainly seem to be the case with this Melbourne side. Surprisingly, when it was only about four or five minutes into the game itself in the first quarter, I was quite certain that we'd actually win this. And and the reason that I say that was because already I could see the structures on which this team is built, and the defensive structures in particular, they were already working. Um, Essendon, in contrast, had no such system whatsoever. Their, their defensive structures are all about individuals. They haven't haven't developed it yet. They haven't got the personnel to be able to implement it, um, and it was a real contrast even very early on in the game. Um the, the, we'll talk about their fans um, yes. a little bit later on, but the ones that were around me in that first quarter were already screaming, stop kicking it to Lever in May. Um, and May. Um, and surprisingly, the worst offenders were the ones getting the most possessions. The, Mer- the Merits and the Parrish just kept on l- kicking the ball forward Lots of possessions, but they kept kicking it straight on the head as a believer and May and um, the other the other backmen. And it just didn't hurt them, and the ball just kept coming out. Now, we didn't capitalise all that well um, as a result of that for a start off, but um, we're not worried about the clearances and the number of times the opposition get it. It's what's done with it and what, and what the effects are. And um, like I said, from a very early stage... Uh, we had control of that game from what I could see and it just continued for the rest of the game. And even though it was only a couple of goals in the end, it could well have been a lot more than that, but I don't think it was ever going to get less than that.
0: B-Man, how were your nerves uh, going into Uh, that last or even in that last uh, quarter?
2: Pretty much the same as George. I mean, exactly right is when you get to um, 12 points, um, a bit of luck here or there can... um, can cause it but they were lucky to be within 12 points um I have no I'd never sort of thought otherwise I was really confident right through that game in fact I was confident two or three minutes in just because it was we clearly brought our um, intensity um and we were phenomenal um and all credit to Essendon I thought they were terrific as well with their pressure um but you know if Tipper had got a free kick, which, to be honest, he should have got one. Um, Harms dropped that red hot. I, I think if he'd got that, um, you know, he can't really kick over a jam tin, so he's, he was no guarantee of getting it. But uh, if that free had been paid, he would have been kicking for about 40. If he'd got the goal, um, they would have been within five points, I think, or six points at that point. So, But having said that, I, I thought... Um, we played really solid in those last four or five minutes and we sucked so much time out of the clock. So even though two goals ordinarily, um, you know, is, is nothing in footy, obviously, it, it is against us, uh, particularly the way we're playing. And I thought it was interesting, George, them kicking. I, I just Before um, we started, I watched the first half. I haven't hadn't watched the replay yet, and I watched the first half um, this evening. And it's easier said than done to stop kicking it long because it, if it's drilled into their model, that that's what they do. They're, they're, they've got some similarities to us, and uh, they like to get territory too. So um, part of that is if you don't have another option and you're under pressure, which we were doing, you get it long, you get it 40, 50 metres down. There's no point kicking sideways and losing it 20 metres to your left or right um, because that you're you turning over in a difficult spot. So if their model um, is to continue, is to under pressure look to kick it long into their forward line and then um, try to win that aerial contest from there, it's really hard on the fly to start kicking lateral kicks in board or particularly because we just completely took away the corridor. Um, you know, the commentators kept on saying, oh, corridor, corridor, but really they only got it in that that, that corridor a couple of times and um, for me it felt like a really a quintessential 2021 Demons game because... You know they were lucky to get a ten point break. We dominated that first quarter. They only had, I think we had eleven, maybe seventeen inside fifties. They had five or six, and they scored from three of them, um, and, and including the um, sort of sort of fluky goal, really from you know a good goal from Stringer from sixty meters out. Um, then in the second quarter, they actually dominated the first half of that quarter. But why it was such a Melbourne performance is that they just could not penetrate. They could not score. They got one goal, which was that fluky kick, a brilliant bit of play by um, the young fella on the goal line. Um, but try as they might, they just couldn't penetrate our defensive um, wall. And um, that's really, that point is where we won the game because they needed to jump out to a 3-4 goal lead at that point to take advantage. Um, but it just really struck me is that we dominated the first quarter. We really didn't take advantage. We missed a lot of easy shots. We missed a lot of inside 50 targets. When they had their momentum, which a team will always get, they just couldn't put any scoreboard pressure on us. Uh, and when they failed to do so, that was game over. So um, I thought they were really smart in that last 10 minutes and they've done that really well, not just this season. They did it a number of times last year where they um, used that last 10 minutes really smart and took time out of the clock and made it really difficult for the opposition to score.
0: Let's talk about uh, that magnificent defence um, and uh, talk about defence, not our defensive system yet. We'll talk about that in a minute Uh Without the likes of May and Lever, who had 18 intercepts between them, the return of form by uh, Christian Salem, a a fantastic shutdown role by Hunt on uh, McDonald, Tip and Woody, Uh, cameos from Hibbard, who I thought did well when Stringer sort of went forward, Uh, Rivers and Petty. Uh, Without these guys, we we surely probably would have lost this match. Uh, That that back six, back seven is so important uh, and is really... Uh, the standout at the moment in our team. I mean, we've got a, obviously a, a great midfield, but uh, the, this back six or seven players is just solid. And the, uh, the fact that they're getting to play, stringing a lot of games together, is fantastic. And I'm loving loving watching it, uh, George.
1: Yeah, isn't it fantastic? The um, the other thing is that was really evident in, the, in this game was uh, while May had eight intercepts and Lever had ten. Uh, the rest of the backmen, which are doing extraordinarily well, as as well as those two, which are which are now become our mainstays, of course. But Hunt had six intercepts, Rivers had five, Hibbert had five, Salem had four. It was really quite uh, easy to understand. why, like I said, all these Essendon fans were screaming around me. Stop kicking it to them! Stop kicking it to them! But these guys were just intercepting everything that came in. And even
0: um, even Langdon, what, who we've been very uh, had a lot of praise for, uh, had six as well. So
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. And and then the other the other thing was it just kept coming out the same way all the time. Um, Langdon in particular, brace a couple of occasions, but the ball would go to Salem, Salem would, Salem would deliver it to Langdon, Langdon to deliver it up to the forward line. It was just relentless, just, this constant um, turning back of the of, of the tide of Essendon as they came down and then the same thing had happened, Essendon had attacked, and they'd do exactly the same thing again and they just kept on kicking it to our guys and our guys kept picking it up and sending it straight back the opposite direction. The, the real pity was that we weren't able to capitalise and we'll talk about that a bit later on but... Really, we should have been given the number of forward entries that we had, and the m- number of marks that we we're able to take inside fifty. Um, we really should have capitalised a lot more. But hey, we we won the game. But it was built on this fantastic defence that we have. Yeah, we'll talk uh, about that
2: defensive all team defence and um, in a minute, I know. But this was a one for the true believers for the back six. Um, you know, there's there's games where you know it's really evident that that all team pressure. This this game was it one such example, but they were extraordinary, weren't they? That was as good a defensive back six performance as I was trying to think afterwards. I can't, you know, it's hard to think backwards, but you know, Sean White and Danny Hughes and sort of Rivers and those sorts of players, individuals, um, but I can't think of a you know a back six who are so well drilled and they just have such confidence in each other about where they um you know what, what the next handball. And, and they've I don't know if, if you guys sort of agree but it feels like they've if if anything they've become more um, sort of comfortable holding the ball and and you know, taking on the tackler or, you know, they it's rare for them to be rushed. At one point, Hibbert, um, um fumbled the ball deep uh, and it was a rare sort of, it just struck me as a rare thing to happen in our back six. Uh, you know, sure. And, and I thought, again, I thought Essendon's pressure was fantastic. They were really, you know, tackling hard and, and in it. But, uh, um, you know, also you get Jordan and um, I think Brayshaw has been terrific the last couple of weeks. Um, Langdon, who didn't do it so much this game, but pushing back, um, even Spargo pushing back into the defence to help out, but that back six were fantastic. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned um, Hunt, um, uh, George, because he was. I thought that he played great at the last two games. I thought he was good against Collingwood, um, terrific the week before. Um, but he was just about his best game for the season. I thought he, his mm-hmm. run was there. He looks to get it and really move forward when he can. He had 11 kicks, 7 handballs, so 18 possessions. You know, that's great for him. Um, took four marks, included a couple of really good ones, and he had six tackles. So he was second only to Jordan. who, who For a young fellow, he had nine tackles, Jordan, which is just amazing, and, and quite a few of them were in the back half. But um, Hunt getting six tackles back there is fantastic. The other one that just – I thought Salem was back to his best. And he, he was – um, terrific. And I really love the way he's changed his game to, um, you know, he, he rarely does, unless he's under pressure and doesn't have another option, he rarely does those lateral 10, 15, 20 meter kicks anymore. Uh, he really gets good distance. And in fact, the whole team do. We very rarely go back. It was interesting. We switched a, a few times um, this week and uh, uh, sort of was unusual that we did, but we very rarely, you know, go sideways too often or, um, you know, backwards. and. Uh, He's really become an important um, player in the way. He got, what, he ended up 30 possessions, Salem. He had 10 marks, um, three tackles himself. Just fantastic performance back there.
0: Well, let's go into our defensive system. Um, We've got some audio to play. This is uh, Max. Uh, We sort of alluded to it uh, when we played some audio Of Max the other week and he was talking about uh, Troy Chaplin sort of drumming home that defensive thing and this this uh, clip uh, gives a little bit more insight into that Um, so I'll play that now before we uh, chat about it. So Max explain team defense to us to us Uh, explain team defense to us you've got um, you mentioned they're making the
3: ground small what what actually is that and how does that happen? I'm glad you went into that question a bit more because I was going to be a smart-ass and just say it's defending as a team. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would have appreciated that answer. (laughs) (laughs) But you gave me a second part of that question, which is good. Um, No, look, it's obviously uh, the most common place for the other team to have the ball um, is like the half-back line. That's where a lot of turnovers happen. Um, So team defence sort of starts from there and... Um, it's been able to get your forwards up to be able to help defend, and the the mid shutting out the the other midfielders and defenders um, shutting out their players. Like it's it's pretty easy, the same p- part. Like you're basically focusing on your man, and then uh, once you got that covered, you can help out someone else. So um, there's not that much science to it, but it goes away from what you're taught as a junior. Junior, you're hardly even taught defence as a junior. You're just taught to chase the ball, and then you drill this team defence for four or five years like Troy Chaplin has been doing as our back coach, and um, it's finally clicked.
0: So
4: why is it finally clicked? Is it the fitness of the team? Is it the
0: maturity of the team? How does it just all of a sudden come together?
3: I I mean, that point that I said about Chappie, uh, Troy Chaplin's been our back coach for four or five years, and he's literally reiterated the same point for those four or five years, so... Um, it would have been so frustrated when it wasn't just happening after one, two, three years. And even last year, we showed it for a lot of games and then um, we couldn't keep it going. And um, this year, it just seems like a little bit of maturity. Maybe what you said there, Maisie, and um, the, the guys have played a lot of footy together. The back seven have actually um, played uh, a, a lot of footy together. They've, um, Apart from maybe Harry Petty, who's just come in. but um, So, yeah, that plus with a little bit of maturity and then just Chappie just reiterated the same point over and over again.
0: Um, yeah, I think it's uh, one of the other points to take away from that is the fact that they're all, and and you said that before, Big Man, that, that we're they're all playing together as in the same back six week after week after week. And I think that's really important. And you talked about in previous years, just sort of individuals here and there. But this year it's sort of, Group, a real group effort, doing uh, doing exactly what they need to do. And our, our defensive system held up well this week, allowed us to strangle and absorb the pressure. And make no mistake, uh, you can talk about winning ugly, but if not for our superior defensive structures, not just from the back six, but the you know forwards going up and helping out, um, and everyone playing their role, we might not be talking about winning at all. Um, so it's a great thing to see, uh, George.
1: Yeah, um, I think it was a good point that uh, Max made again about um, Chappie um, banging on for a couple of years about this. Um, when you look back at last year, I think May and Lever only managed six games together as um, when they either or both weren't injured at some stage in 2019. We all know was a disastrous year in terms of injuries. But suddenly you you get that uh, solid continuity um, and reliability that comes from those two big bodies down there. But also with with the rest of the um, defensive structures and the the people involved in it are seeing the results from it. you know that we're sitting with twelve wins. This is working really, really well for us at the moment. So it feeds off uh, itself as as it becomes self-fulfilling. So um yeah, fabulous, fabulous to see in, in action. Um, I disagree a little bit with Max when he says it, it finishes up at the half-back line. I think we actually start at the half-forward line. You, The defensive structures force the players out to the wings, force them away from the corridor, force them into that down-the-line kick, force them into a situation where they don't want to be. And um, that's what really starts it. Um, and then, then we see the mopping-up exercises occurring with the Levers and Mays and, and a few others in this game down the back line.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. that sort of reflecting last week, talking about the comparison to basketball, because good defensive systems do exactly that, don't they? Georgian basketball is they mm. force oppositions to um, parts of the court where it's difficult to get out of. And um, how often do you see opposition players sort of on the half back their half back line, looking up the line? They've got Max. They've got Jackson up ahead. Potentially got um, Tommy McDonald up ahead. You know, not knowing where to go and hesitating. Now, it's really important, I think, to sort of uh, consider um, the one the form Essendon had been in coming into that game. They won five from seven, I think, the five of the last seven. Five two, I think, six, a, yeah. yeah, yeah, and 2 the the second highest scoring team in the league. They love to move it, bounce it fast. They go for the corridor. They play through the corridor. They've got like a hybrid model between the sort of aggressive ball movement of um, of the dogs and a very Melbourne-like sort of um, model of, of territory and sort of trying to avoid short-shipping it around like a, a Collingwood team does. Um, but you could see how often they were struggling to know what to do. And then the other option is to bail out and go to the... Um, to try and to cross into the centre. Uh, and it's so a they... They don't like to chip and hold it like Colin would do. Um, so they, you know, the option that they would prefer, and when what they do to other teams is to take that kick on into the center. Um, but they look up and they know that they can't take that risk. And if they do, we're almost wanting them to, to daring them to take that because when they do, we so often turn it over. We we had a you know a real focus on our defensive uh, effort this week and our all-team defence, um, you know, there was no way the club was going to allow those fr- those easy kicks that um, Garbo talked about last week, for instance, where, you know, that chip up to the 50-metre line and letting them move it out, we were pressing right up on them. Um, and it's really a sort of – it's the same what we did to the dogs. We're challenging them almost or – go for it. If you want to take that kick onto the centre, you've got to kick it around Viney, you've got to kick it over the top of Jordan, you've got to somehow get it through Oliver um, and, you know, when it crunch comes to crunch, under pressure players default to down the line Uh, and when they do, the game's then on our terms and we we mop it up at the half-back line, hence all of our intercept marking, you know, that's why people go, well why do they keep kicking it? Because they don't really have another option Um, and so, you know, it was so evident we were on defensively and really, as we've talked about, that's, you know, everyone playing a role, everyone running, everyone crossing when they do get a, stri- a switch, everyone sort of being switched on and knowing what they're doing, um, that it just makes us super hard to play against. Um, and when we're on like that, teams are going to struggle to w- kick a winning score. I don't care which team it is. They're all going to struggle. In that, that, and that's we've got a big body of work to show that even the best teams struggle to put a score on um, the board against us.
0: Uh, if you want to join us tonight zero three nine zero one six three triple six that's zero three nine zero one six three triple six uh skype us at demonland thirty one join us in the chat room demonland slash podcast um midfield uh max dominated the hitouts with thirty two but the esteda mids uh dominated the possession count and if you Take a look at the Don's stoppage setups. A lot of their players were on the outside and often left unattended, and were allowed to effectively walk out of the context, contest too easily. Uh, luckily, our team's defensive uh, set up, which we were just talking about, uh, was such that the opposition was stalled, having to either you know let look sideways, uh, go backwards, or just dumb kick a forward, which invariably landed back in our hands. Um, my concern is, and B man, you just said it's not a concern of yours, but if we try that against the Eagles or Port who perhaps may have a more potent forward line, certainly the Eagles, I reckon, do. Our systems might not be able to save us if we're too loose at the stoppages. Big man, you're not worried about that. Um, Still not worried about that against an Eagles?
2: Well, it depends on what you mean by loose at the stoppages. I think, again, that goes back to the... um,
0: Well, if we don't win the stoppages, if it's coming out like it did, like Essendon took it out quite a lot of times.
2: Yeah, but... If you look where they get it, I mean, that's why they didn't, I, mean, I was, conf- you know, watching it, they talk about merit. He had 10 possessions inside the first 10 minutes. Who cares? Yeah. They didn't score a goal in that period of time. It's a bit like when we played, um, I think it was Hawthorne and Mitchell racked up the possessions. They don't care about it. And so they don't care if they lose a, a stoppage where a merit wins it on the defensive side of the contest and under pressure, Dump kicks it to Lever. That's my whole point that I've been, you know, you can't have, you can't praise Lever and May and <laughs> our 15 intercepts that we got. I and do. not recognise the reason we got, get it is because when we do lose a stoppage, we're where it's on the offensive side of the contest, and we're putting the ball carrier under so much pressure, they have no option but to dump kick it into our forward line. The only other option they have is to take a risky kick on the corridor, which we... Uh, pick off and cause a turnover and win the ball at um, our half forward line. The two, it's two elements of our game plan. We beat teams when we mark on the half back flank and intercept, and we do that by when they win a stoppage by putting them under a whole lot of pressure so that they've got no option but to dump kick it into our forward line. It happened again. We're happy with that. We're happy. To, he could have fifty possessions. Twenty five of them are kicked. Uh, Steve May.
0: Um. We had some audio is that where you want to play we had uh, the goodie that audio be,
2: this would be a good time No, good I'm time. my, my, my about the um about the the um stoppages and clearances yes this would be a very good time Andy
0: Is there anything you need to preface it uh, with
2: Uh, No, this was just that. This is from the press conference um, straight after the game, and um, it feels to me, in his understated way, this Goodwin's um, sort of got a similar level of fatigue with this question about stoppages. Um, If if you can see the vision, he sort of looks a bit weary as he as he answers this. So when you're hearing it, sort of picture a goodie with a with a sort of a bit of a resigned look on his face as he's talking.
0: All right, I'll put my uh, my questioning of our, our clearance uh, work away and maybe we can bring it back uh, <laughs> if I have to. All right, here we go. I
4: don't think centre bounce cloud clearances
3: are probably one of your strengths this year, but I think you broke even tonight and outscored them from centre bounce. Was, was that sort of pleasing? There? Is that sort of bucking the trend a little bit?
2: Well, it's an area of the game that we're working really strongly on. Um, you know, we think we've got the the weapons to to be able to maximise that area of the ground. Um, but one thing's the win clearance, the other thing's to score from it. And tonight, you know, we, we were able to do that and that was really pleasing.
0: Short, sharp, direct. All right. Uh... Yeah,
2: and the point he's making is what I've been banging on about. It's not how many clearances you win or lose. It's how many clearances you score from and what happens after you win or lose it. So if we set up and we win it, and you could see how effective we were. We didn't actually take full advantage of it uh, in terms of kicking goals, but we got quite a few scoring chains from it where we get clean out of the centre. That's what they're looking for. That's the gold standard. If in doing so, in creating them, you, you're going to lose some. It's like the old, you can't you know, make an egg, a cake without breaking some eggs. The key is when we do lose them, that they don't score off them. They don't kick it to us, and that's what was happening. So as Goody points out, is it's not about the clearances. It's about what happens with them, and if you score from them, that's what he wants to see more of, not more clearances, more clearances from which you get a scoring chain that starts. Uh, and that's what we got, we got on um, Saturday. They got nothing. They got bugger all, and they're a good clearance side. They're an okay clearance side. They got nothing from stoppages um, or clearances in terms of their scores.
0: George, anything you want to add to that before I talk about the mids in general?
1: Uh, no, I just had some things to talk about the mids in general. So when you are finished your bit.
0: Yep, uh, I was just going to talk about uh, just uh, individuals, but all sort of at once. Oliver with his 34 possessions, 15 contested, 7 clearances, 7 score involvements. Harms, 27 possessions, 12 contested, 2 clearances, 5 scoring involvements. Then the 1 goal, 2 for Tracker. 26 possessions 12 contested two clearances eight score involvement at two clutch goals uh well they probably were both clutch goals uh we really needed them particularly that one on the boundary when he gave the little wave uh, to the Essendon supporters Um, I was actually quite amused. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Essen supporter who reacted to him waving, uh, was sort of motioning to the umpire as if the umpire was going to award the guy in the crowd a free kick uh, for that. He was in
2: shock, wasn't he? I loved his expression. (laughs) He was like, hey,
0: what are you doing? Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. And then uh, James Jordan, uh, remarkable, 21 possessions, two goals from, uh, I believe, George, you mentioned that he only played 60% game time that's um, just amazing um,
1: yeah yeah oh, that, that's ahead. that's truly amazing and I, I i i caused me to have a look at at what was actually going on with the game time and it was interesting uh when I had a look at that um, uh Esnan only had Ridley as the only player in their side who had more than ninety percent game time um, whereas Melbourne had seven players. Um, who were over ninety percent game time? So what? What we're actually doing is, um, firstly, we're doing two things. I think we're protecting people like uh, Jordan and Jackson and Rivers um, because they're all young players. You know, they haven't got the bodies; they've got a long season to go th- go through. So we're giving them less on ground time compared to the more experienced bodies, which is which is great. We're not going to burn them out. But the o- the other thing that we we're Enabling the mids to do is because they're getting these rests; they're actually able to run harder, um, which is more um, beneficial to us overall. So you, you're getting the um, uh, the interchanges going through. We actually used 74 out of the possible 75 interchanges. Essendon only used 69, so our guys were given being given the rest but able to run harder and also giving our younger players a rest. So I think it's a significant thing that we're actually doing that most people probably wouldn't notice um, during the game. It's only when you get to the end of the game that you um, pick up these little things. We did have a couple of stuff-ups with the interchange. Um, we were twice warned and, and got penalised ultimately cost, for a 6-6. Cost, six, six,
0: cost us sorry. a goal.
1: Yeah, it cost, it cost us a goal. Um, uh, I don't know what was going on. That wasn't the only one. The, the, there was the two which, you know, ultimately got the free kick for and caused caused the goal. But there are a couple of others as well, people not coming off the ground at the right time or not getting people on at the right time. Uh, Brayshaw was forced into the middle a couple of times that I saw um, because the uh, other mid who would have otherwise been there... Um, wasn't on the ground, so I don't know what was going on with the interchange bench, uh, but you can't afford to give um, give away a six 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 penalty as as we saw it it just completely leaves the defense exposed because if the ball comes out, it goes straight down the other end really quickly, and uh, as we saw, it uh, gave them that goal. so hopefully they'll they'll pick up on that. but yeah, it's really interesting to see the way that we're protecting our players and the way we're best, best utilising the interchange areas and the time on ground with these players.
0: Yeah, the, well, the first one, um, which you don't get penalised, was Harms and he came onto the ground really, really late uh, from, the, from the goal when, you, when you've mm. got to be in, you know, in the 50 metre arc. And I don't know what happened there. You obviously just, you got to make a call, I, I think, and not bring him on because it was very, very close to them balling up and he sort of ran, he ran, tried to get there and didn't make it in time. So that, that, that is a balls up. I, I think the other one was uh, maybe Brayshaw coming on to the wing so he didn't have that far to go. But again, must have come on quite late um, in that break. So they've really got to sharpen that up because it cost us a goal.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's
2: a, I was gonna um, I had that on my notes last week um George that about what's different this year and some sort of or, or what are sort of the interesting tactical stuff that they're doing and I reckon that's a, a really interesting one the that time stuff you've made that point a few times the the way they've got a number of players it'd be what five six seven playing 90 some of them 95 percent plus game time and then uh, as you say the 50 percent. 60%. What was Viney? Do
0: you know? 74, uh, 74%, I believe. Yes, it is, 74%. Uh-huh. Um, I'll look that yeah. up because I'll ask you about Viney in a minute. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. I, I reckon that's a really interesting. I'd be really curious to know if other teams are um, doing it. Um, I mean, I guess other teams have been experimenting, but uh, I'm wondering whether that's sort of something Melbourne's, a unique thing, that because we do it every week. It's a planned thing. It's not mm. a sort of random you know, when at the beginning of the season, you you could probably maybe think it's just the, sort of the way it's panned out, but really it's been consistent right across the season, hasn't well, it? Like
0: Jordan the, Jordan's been playing pretty much sixty around that sixty uh, percent game time the whole year, um, so they're obviously got that plan for him, uh, obviously, so that he can play more of the season. You know, so his younger body, um, you know. Um, Fitness, in terms of fitness, uh, rather than having to probably give him a break um, in the resi, so yeah, that's obviously a tactic. Yeah, amazing, just, on, yeah.
2: just on Jordan, I pumped up his stats because I realised I was reading the stats from the St Kilda game before, so <laughs> <laughs> he didn't quite have as many yeah. tackles. That so sorry about that, Jordan um, James.
0: Um, but, how many did he have? Um, he only had um, three, so I think you said he had, he had three, nine. Three, yeah. So, uh,
2: and um, I gave him um, you know, three times his his total.
0: Uh, but true. he
1: you crunched a few, didn't yeah. he? Those three were tough. They were worth yeah. nine. Yeah. He, he he is really productive, even though he might be only on the ground for 62% of the mm. time. He is really productive when he's out there, which is exactly what you want to see in a young player. And it fits in nicely with the output that the rest of the um are expected to produce as well so um yeah. yeah it's working very very well
2: and he's a really good uh, i reckon i really like him in the same team as viney because mm. i love viney and uh, you know uh, i my est- he's gone up in my estimation a lot this year in terms of his his importance to the team for a whole range of reasons um but he, in some ways, is not a natural footballer, it feels like. He makes sort of, you know, his decisions um, sometimes leave a bit to be desired in terms of sort of taking too much on. Or, but, but Jordan's like his yang to his yin because Jordan makes is similarly tough, tackles hard, loves to get in there. Um, but has a really unique dual sort of set of... He's good on the inside, but he's excellent on the outside. But what I love about Jordan is he makes great decisions under pressure. Um, you know, things like when, when, knowing when to jam and on the boot, um, when to release it, uh, he handballs. Um, when he handballs, it's always to the um, um, his teammate's advantage. He's, he's just such a natural footballer. And, I mean, I, I'm just so... Thrilled, like it's like suddenly finding a fifty dollar note, <laughs> you know, <laughs> underneath your bed because you know I had no sense really to be honest, um, how good he was last season.
0: Only fifty, I think he's a hundred. Um...
2: And just on Jordan in that interview with Max Gordon, Gordon, I've said this before. It's a great interview. It's every two weeks he's on on RSN. It's from seven to seven thirty or ten past seven to seven thirty. He. I didn't realise, but they said uh, they they talked about Jordan at length um, in that um, in this morning's um, interview with him, and he was delisted. They said. For a two-day period, um, uh, he, they took him off the rookie list. I couldn't. I'd have to listen to it again. Um, where there was a window of time where other clubs could have picked him up. Now, presumably, they would have been warned off and they couldn't do it. But um, there was a period where he came off the list where they put him on the long-term injury list after that injury that he had in the gym, um, and that he got re rookied Or um, so you know. Obviously, they wanting to keep him. Um, but yeah, he's a he's just a, a gun, isn't he?
0: is is he a chance um in this rising star cuz that's well, that I, was I, what
2: they were talking about and he's like eight bucks for the rising star
0: cuz i feel he's not getting the credit that he he deserves um, in the wider football D-Middleham, no 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 yeah. no we, <laughs> that's that's uh, that's preaching to the choir i'm yeah. talking about in the wider football community uh, i don't but think his, he's getting his it,
2: chance yeah. in the um, rising star is that from memory it's voted on by footballers and media people. Mm. Uh, he, and he's the sort of player that, you know, that that footballers love because, like I was saying, he's a natural footballer, he makes good decisions and he's more likely to jump to their attention than, um, um, you know, than maybe to the general public. The young Essendon players' favourite for the yeah, Rising
0: but Star. Yeah, if you look at their stats and it's not just done on one weekend, um, uh, Jordan's blown him out of the park uh, in terms of yeah, stats yeah. this week.
2: Well, so they, and they talked about the Rising Stars. Jordan, we've got this year we've had Jordan... Um,
0: Rivers, Rivers
2: and Jackson. Uh, uh, um, and um, Sparrow's still uh, eligible apparently. So we might end up having four Rising Star nominations, which is incredible for a team on top of the ladder. Uh,
0: uh,
1: and yes, uh, it's it's worthwhile remembering Rivers as well. Again, he, he's in the same scenario, uh, low um, ground ground time, but actually producing an awful lot when he is on the ground. So he's he, we're not we may not be getting the media um, coverage, but these guys are, are flying beautifully under the radar. They are just A grade players, and a couple in when the media eventually wakes up, they'll go. Where have you been hiding these players? it's, it's obvious to us at the moment, but um, their time will come.
2: And I think it's an interesting point too you make, George, about the way that they've engineered the time because, um, as you say, for some of the players, we talk about that, this with Melksham, but it's probably more evident for Rivers is they want him to play a pretty ballistic style where he's aggressive and he takes the game on. Uh, and in order for him to be at that level, he probably needs to be at fifty, sixty percent game time at this point in his career. He's not gonna be playing that if he's eighty, ninety percent is he gonna be running out of gas.
0: Hmm. Yeah, he's he's played seventy, um and uh what did we say Jordan was sixty two percent and and Sparrow fifty per cent. Um hmm. yeah. Uh, let's move on. Uh what did you guys make of Viney's game? Uh look it was Quieter with the, as a midfielder um, with seventeen disposals from seventy four percent game time, but uh, absolutely should be better for the run. George,
1: um, it, to me, he looked a little bit underdone. Not surprisingly, he's been out out for a while. Um, uh, he, but but what he brought to the game was just that strength and that. Um, unwillingness to take the step backwards. Um, I can't remember which Essendon player it was. I think it might be been Merritt tried to tried to take him on at one point and got completely put on his... That was Smith, on, Devin Smith. Devin was, Smith, that's right. He yeah, got completely yeah. put on his on his tail. Um, that just sends the message to the rest of the midfield, you know, he, fine, he's back. He's back in a big way. Uh, another midfielder for the opposition will be looking sideways and uh, not Doing things that they've been would have been other, otherwise able to get away with. Um, yeah, he's he's a big big factor in in um, the second half of this season for us, and let's hope he um, is able to stay on the ground uh, and no more injuries um, arise.
0: Been man anything more with Viney?
1: Oh, it's just great to have him back. He, he was a bit
2: rusty, wasn't he? Um, mm. And um, yeah, he he's got he's got very little depth on his kicking. I mean, in many ways he's a limited footballer. but um as I said, he's gone way up in my estimation and and as much as anything, it was really evident, I think, as I said last week, that how much we've missed him. Um, with a game under his belt, another game next week, you know he's he's a really important piece to the puzzle. Um, and as I said last week, you know, it allows him in the middle, allows Jordan to go back and be a more damaging player on the outside, Um, and and I think that it also means that, you know, when we do lose those clearances, he's a player who can really get in and and not only um, sort of impact defensively, but exactly like he did with Devin Smith. He can really wear down opposition um, mids just through his physicality. I mean, he's... There's very few players that I can recall um, at the D's who have played with just sort of such relentless physicality and, and aggression of the ball carrier. Uh, he gets down low, he, he drives. He's got good technique in his tackling. He would have been a terrific rugby player, I reckon. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm rapt to have him back. He, you know, give him two three weeks to get up to speed, um, and uh, you know he, he's going to he, he was an important player on the weekend, and he'll he'll just get more important as the weeks go past. I think.
0: Uh, Let's talk that forward line, Uh, what is going on with our forward line. Um, We we partly got our wish with uh, Wiedemann being dropped and there was the hope that Ben Brown would get his opportunity and perhaps the lack of matches for Casey as a result of COVID meant that the coaching staff wanted to give him a full game in the twos before getting recalled. However, this week our forward line was screaming out for a, another tall forward who can lead and kick goals from outside 50 or even on 50. I thought we were undermanding the tall stocks up forward and T-Mac was left all on his lonesome in that department. Um, uh, boys, uh, <laughs> what happened? Uh, why well, why wasn't he selected? Uh, be <laughs> man you want to take that? Well, I, I mean,
2: a couple of things. I, I reckon, well, on Brown... I watched the, the VFL game, and it's on. Um, if anyone wants to watch the replay, you can catch it on Seven Play, or you just got to sort of open a, a free account. Um, and that game's on there. It's it's good to, to watch. I suspect that he's watching that. He he looked better, um, and um, Richardson um, did the review of it. He sort of picked out six players to talk about. Brown was one of them. Uh, and he emphasised in that that whilst the five goals were great, that what was really good was that he was moving well. So I suspect that he wasn't in because he's not yet fit enough or mobile enough for, um, um, for, for the club. And really the, the issue is, is you we've talked about this, but it's not just the sort of inside 50 pressure. You can't have a player that other um, that the defenders can run off. Uh, as much as he would have brought the ball to ground. If he's not able to keep up with a a defender, they'll just park a fast defender on him and run off him all day, or not even a fast one necessarily. So I suspect that's the reason. Uh, My feeling is pretty strong watching that game is he he may not even get picked this week, but they'll look to bring him in against Port. I I reckon my gut feeling is they want to get him rock hard fit and as mobile as possible, uh, and he's the one that's going to come in um, and you know they played um, Weed in that VFL game in very much the Tom McDonald role, and I and I reckon, and he looked great. He he worked hard. He, he had his he was good. Um, Weed in that game, I thought, um, and I reckon that's the role. If he's going to come back in Weed, it'll be in the Tom McDonald role, role and only then it's something really. If you know, God forbid, um, T Mac has an injury or his form, just, his form just completely drops away. But on the forward line, I, I think it's under. You know, we had 10 inside 50 marks. I think they only had three. Um, so we actually, the forward line functioned pretty well. Um, it's just that we didn't take our chances. And in addition to those 10 marks we had inside 50, and there was a clear a clear effort to make that short 30-40 kick to the sort of into that zone about 30 metre, you know, a band across 30 metres out. And so they were looking for that short lateral kick. The best one of the day was Fritch who did a beautiful lateral kick, I think, to um, Petrarca that set up his second goal that was a really important goal. That was the one they were looking for all game. Um, but in addition to the 10 marks, many of which were that type of kick that we got inside 50, they must have missed four or five players completely open. Petrarca missed two, and one of them was a shocker. I saw it before we came on. Um, missed three, um, had Tom McDonald you know, completely free, no-one around him for 20 metres and missed him, <laughs> put it over... He was only 15 metres away, put it over his head. So there were a number of them. So the forward line actually didn't, despite our low score, wasn't actually that ineffective, I thought. It worked pretty well, that small um, to medium forward line.
0: It wasn't so much um, the low score because do we kick straight the uh, score wouldn't have been lower. I mean, the, our delivery, I thought, in the first half into the forward 50 was atrocious. Uh, I thought it improved marketably, marketably in the in the third. We just couldn't nail our shots, which if we converted the set shots from Mac, free charms, as you mentioned, if we had uh, been able to kick it actually to some of our forwards, you know, we would not even be having a conversation about winning ugly because the game would not have got that close. I think we would have been much further in front Take fourteen nine instead of nine fourteen, and it's a, it's yeah, a different, exactly. uh, it's a different uh, outcome, a much different outcome, and wasn't just and I, yeah.
2: sorry. And there was a point where I mean, as much as I don't know if we'll talk about it, but the, as much as the Essendon fans were going bananas with the umpires, there was a point in the game that was it, I, that game could have easily blown out to a thirty point um, win, easy. Um, in fact, I expected it it would when um, we we running on top of the ground and they were starting to run in quicksand and we broke and we had the, the free kick that we moved it down the ground, the free kick that was paid against T-Mac for in the back which should have been holding the ball um, it was a terrible decision, he got up expecting to get the ball, we were free the ball was free. That would have, if we'd got the free, it would have been an advantage call and it would have run into an open goal because there, I think I wasn't at the ground, unfortunately. But I think there was no one between uh, whoever got the ball forward of Mac and the goal. So that would have taken it out to, I think, maybe 24 points. And then I just think the back would have been broken of Essendon. So they got a couple of goals after that. So, um, yeah, I, you know, we could have easily busted that game open and we wouldn't be talking about the forward line as much.
1: One thing, I, Sorry Andy, one, yeah, one thing um, I think we might have learnt is that um, resting rucks aren't full forwards um, despite what we might think um, Gorn was spending most of his time um, resting in when he was resting, was in the back line Jackson was playing more full forward but full forwards know how to run leading patterns and um, I don't know that, that we see those sort of leading, leading patterns, particularly in a young ruckman like Jackson. Um, he, he just doesn't know how to do them. He's a good, great individual player. Um, he's a big threat down there, but we really need a full forward down there. We just can't leave it to Tommy Mack to be um, trying to do the whole lot in his own. The other thing was, T Mac was doing the the forward rucking, which I just find is incomprehensible. You know, if you if you've got a full forward, put the full forward in there. If you've got a resting ruck, you should be using the resting ruck as the as the ruck. Um, but we seriously lack some height there at time in the forward line um, again, which would be solved if you had a a Wiederman or a. Um, Brown down there. I remember at one stage um, Langdon was running in from the wing with the ball looking for a leading target and he had number 30, 31 and 32 sitting at the 50-metre line um, and the Essen defenders just picked them off quite easily. You just needed someone with a bit of height there <laughs> um, and ultimately we're going to have to get, um, I suspect, ben, ben, ben Brown in there as soon as possible Um yeah. Hope, yeah, We just we just need to get him in there, get the games into him, even if he's not totally fit, which um, Greg Stafford alluded to in uh, his interview today. He basically didn't have a pre-season. They're trying to get him up to the standard. But um, the sooner we get him in there, I think he'll, he'll get the fitness levels. Um, a good number of his goals came from, from uh, at the Casey game this week, came from on-ground um, work, um, they weren't, I think there was only one from a mark, marking situation, but the others, he, he was actually running and picking the ball up. And uh, it'll be interesting to see whether they think that he is at that level this week. Yeah, I, I, I think all the messaging, if you sort of add all
2: the sort of comments together from players and coaching, coaching is that they're heading towards Ben Brown and that they want a big. even Max said this morning in his interview that, You know, you need a big forward come finals time. I think not Mm -hmm. so much, you know, the point I I heard was made, I think, on that um, first crack show that, in fact, big forwards don't kick many goals in pressure finals. But what they do do, as you're pointing out, George, is bring it to the ground, don't they? Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, under pressure, you need long kicks, you, you've got to have a player to bring it to ground, um, you know. When there's, you know, you can't finesse it too much in a high pressure final, and so your first default is kicking long to, to um, your big. Uh, yeah, I just think they they want to get in cherry ripe. I wouldn't be surprised if they had him playing this week. Um, you know, Phil Davis is, um, I guess, their only big. I know they. I mean, they're not too bad, bad GWS down back, but um, yeah, I reckon they, I might wait one more week and bring him against Port. Um, he was, I gonna watch the game. He's sort of an interesting, he kicked 5-3, I think, so, mm. you know, uh, and still didn't look that impressive. He looked a bit slow. But I tell you, it's just a joy to watch someone, you know, his he's, um, run-up kills you, but um, he's such a good kick. Um, and there was sort of a, a case study of the two, of Wiedemann and, um, and Brown. They both kicked from almost exactly the same spot, there was a tricky wind at Casey, um, and um, Wiedemann, who's got not a bad technique, didn't. He tried to overcompensate for the wind and dragged it to the left as he often does. Um, but Brown is so confident in his technique. He started, to, you know, from about forty metres out um, on a slight angle. Started to the right of the post knowing what the wind would do and the wind brought it back and it kicked it. You know, so many players would start it at the middle and then a missed to the left just like Wiedemann um, did. He's, he's just a beautiful kick of the footy. Um, and, you know, as we've talked about, you've just got to take your chances sometimes. And so that's really he's ace in his um, pack in some respects is that if he does get chances, he'll kick his two, three goals almost, you know, certainly with the amount of inside 50s that we get.
0: So ben, ben Brown is used to that uh, Tasmanian win, so perhaps we need to, <laughs> we need to hub in Tasmania. No, uh, no, no, no,
1: no, no, no. <laughs> no more predictions, Andy. No, no,
0: no. Now, was it just me, or were our players failing to make the distance from 50 metres out? Uh, Mac did it, didn't even get to the goal line. Uh, someone else did it as well, and I, I think uh, it wasn't until Sparrow in the last quarter that we were sort of able to kick a long goal, Um not sure that was a good kick
2: too, wasn't it? Like yeah. he really, you know, he he was one of the few players I've seen use that um, stand rule really smart there. Like some some players that seems to throw out their technique, but he just went around and got that extra distance and really uh, nailed it. But yeah, Sparrow, oh, sorry, um, um, Spargo, he, he he just struggles, doesn't he, from anywhere outside thirty just about.
1: There was a that was that Sparrow goal, I'm glad you called him Sparrow too. Been man this week. <laughs> um, that uh, that was right in front of me where, where I was, but what was really impressive uh, about that was Brayshaw kicked it to him. He was the only one available, um, and I thought, oh, he's kicked it to the smallest man in the forward line at the moment, but as it turned out... Uh, it was the it was the best kick for the for the goals from that position, but there were no other options. It was just a brilliant kick from from Brayshaw to get it to him in the first place. It was a good mark too, wasn't it? Yeah, he had yeah. his body really well, and that's yeah. right. That I thought um,
2: Brayshaw's kicking has improved was the best it has been all season, and that kick, hundred percent right, George. What was great about that is that he put it to um, to Sparrow's advantage, put it out to his right, enabled him to keep him underneath the ball. You know, that's the thing that a four, anyone wants, you know, to, to give, to maximise the chance that you're going to market. Um, you know, he, I thought he had a neat game and that was a mm. really important goal, the timing of that. Just back on Brown, I think you make a good point, George, about TMAC and the worry I have about T-Mac being the key forward is that he really needs the second defender, you know, and he's better. He's at his best when he's leading up almost to the wing on those long leads. That's where he's at his best. He's not a true full forward as such. Um, and I, he struggled big time last year when the big best defender went on to him. So, you know, there's no chance that the best defender, big defender, isn't going to go to Brown if Brown plays, which means that the second best talk going to go to um, T-Mac. And then that T-Mac can use his aerobic ability to, to drag that player up and down the ground. So, you know, I think that's, you know, they'll definitely want Brown in, I suspect.
0: Now let's talk that uh, those umpiring, uh, the controversial uh, free kicks or non-free kicks, uh, what are your takes on those uh, that weren't paid uh, The the uh, and some that were the tipper uh, tip and woody uh, tackle on harms and I guess it was also the... Um, the high tackle on Cozzy, uh on the wing, uh, the Jordan free kick in the square. I thought he was, uh, you know, they were screaming out that, um, uh, you know, you're allowed to make the contest, but I don't think you're allowed to smack somebody in the head, and that's what actually happened. Um, and also the double 50-metre penalty uh, on Jordan, um, first one was 100% there and I'm not sure what happened with the... Th- I think he was um, I think he was yep. penalised for, for talking back to the umpire and yeah, I know this least, this week they were hot. It, was the it wasn't just our game. This week they were very hot on uh, the abuse to the umpires and getting 50 metres as a result. I saw it in another game, so I'm assuming there was a directive there. Um, Essendon fans were livid. Uh, do they have any right uh, to be... Uh, Big man, you want to take that... Take a couple of those first.
2: But just ask you fellas a question first. That sure. um, I'm spewing. I couldn't get a ticket. I just couldn't believe it. I was furious. So to watch it at home and have to listen to Darcy, um, you know, it's like Brian Taylor and Darcy are going to haunt my nightmares. Um, were they? Was it as loud the booing as it seemed to be on television? Yeah, it was louder. It, it, it definitely was. It came. I couldn't believe it. It was like it was really weird. It was a weird phenomenon. Mm. Um, and so my opinion on those um, frees are that the the one that I would have been furious is that was 100% a free kick against Harms. Like that was definitely dropping the ball. Yeah, we, Having would, said just, that, we would have been screaming for a free.
0: Say again? We would have been screaming for a free. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Having said that, they've completely changed the rule on holding the ball this year. So it's not yeah. inconsistent with how they've been paying it, is it? But the 50 metres against, um, I forget it, the, the young player, um, that was there. And I was screaming at the telly, that's 50, because he took an age to get around. And that's what that 50 is actually there. That's what it's for, is to stop him moving, because he had to stop and wait till he got around on the mark. That was 100% there. And then on the telly, I'm not sure if you guys have watched the replay, but on the, on the um, thingo, they showed the replay, and um, that 50 was for abuse. It could have also been paid for the fact that he wasn't running away from the zone. So I'm not sure if you if you could see it at the ground, but he was running all the way up. He's supposed to be, as that 50 fifties happening, he's supposed to move well away, which he wasn't. And then he's given the um, umpire a mouthful, obviously. Complete lack of discipline. So they've got no one to complain um, about themselves for that. And then, again, if you haven't heard the replay, later on that same umpire, I think, said to Devon with exasperation, said, Devin, stop yelling at me. I mean, that's just pathetic, really. From a leader of the club that they are brought in, um, that really is pathetic behaviour. And it sort of seemed to seep into the crowd with all of that booing. And then the, the one that you talk about, Andy, the string, one against Stringer on Jordan, they pay that, Ninety-five times out of a hundred, anyone going back with the flight of that, despite the fact he hit him in the head, they pay that almost all the time. Any for any contact in that manner when a, when the players are running back with the flight of it, they pay. It was a free kick every day of the week, and I, I just can't stand the way they are complaining about it. And the crowd, I thought it was pretty embarrassing for Essendon fans, to be honest.
0: Well, they you know they were acting as if the free kick count was twenty-five to to eight or something. It was fifteen to ten. Mm.
2: It was actually a very low number of umpiring, but it started right from the beginning. They were booing right from, I don't know what was going on. Maybe there was a bit of COVID angst or something.
1: I I think it was just their um, expectations having won five of their previous six games, that um, we're back to our entitled state. And um, this this is ridiculous that you're not allowing us to do what we've got away with um, in the last couple of weeks. But, uh, Ben Man, you're absolutely right. It's no use complaining that the, a lot of those holding the ball ones were incorrectly called according to the rules of the book. The trouble is that the umpires aren't paying it at the moment. I watched a couple of other games on the weekend and it was exactly the same. Uh, It was exactly what Clarkson was complaining about about six or eight weeks ago, that the um, tacklers aren't being rewarded for tackles which are perfect, effectively, that they'll just call play on, play on, play on, because that means they don't have to make a a decision if the truth be known. So um, for Essendon fans to finally realise what's being uh, paid and... um, uh, they should have known about the uh, abuse calls. That's been the, the rule of the round, so to speak, as well. Um, so um, that wasn't unexpected as well. So um, they'll have to live with it because that's that's the way that, that it is being umpired at the moment, rightly or wrongly, that's what it is. And, uh,
2: uh, you know, again, for my pet hate, for the commentators, they seem to feed into it. They seem to feed into this sort of narrative that, that, that you know, the, the bombers were being robbed. It was really—it's so frustrating watching it on television live um, when the commentary is poor, which it almost always is. <laughs> you know, um, it was great watching the VFL game because the commentary was all right. It was nothing it's flash, but it was—it didn't have any of that over-the-top hype. And you know, they like—you'd think that Stringer was the best player ever to have played football. You know, he, he was pretty quiet on the on the night and I thought looked a bit unfit, to be honest, but if not if you believe the commentators. You know, he's the package. Um, so, you know, they I, I just think I'd love some more balance around that stuff and, you know, it's almost as if the people at the ground could hear the commentators egging them on about how unfair it was.
1: Yeah. String, Stringer was one of the laziest players that I've who's <laughs> playing at the moment. He, um, his first goal was because he simply was stuck in the middle of the ground while the ball was up the other end and they got a quick turnover that it managed to get to him. One of the few Um, ones they got all day. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, And and he didn't change the way he played the whole game. Um, When he wandered, and I mean wandered, down into the forward line, Hibbert picked him up and he got nothing in there. Um, I think in the previous week, most of his goals came from similar sorts of situations, you know, where he's skirting the edges of packs, looking for... Um, cheapies. He doesn't go and get his own ball in, uh, unless it lands in his his uh, lap and he just wanders around the ground. It was interesting I was watching him even in the warm ups before the game um, where other players are you know sprinting back and forth. He's sort of taking three or four sprint type steps and then slowing up to walk to finish the run through. Yeah. He's, he's he's just inherently fit. like that. He's, he's not fit.
2: He's, and if oh, I hope they don't fit... waste 800 grand a year on him.
1: Yeah it will
0: be good. <laughs> I, I, I get the impression that uh, he's somehow involved in uh, giving himself the nickname the package. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be surprised. Uh, we've got a caller on the line. I believe it's our good friend uh, Terence. Uh, good evening, Terence. How, how are you doing?
4: i uh, doing well Andy, thank you uh, for this opportunity. I've got a little run sheet so I don't uh, keep asking follow-on questions so um, I'm glad that we're talking a little bit about the media, that's what I wanted to bring up um, and I'm always a bit conscious when to call in because I don't want to um, break the flow. So there are a couple of things. Um, one went back to last week um, during the mid-review I would have liked to have talked about from a media point of view. I think it's died a natural death uh, when I saw Jackson being interviewed by Ben Gibson the other day, but I was really annoyed with Tom Morris. I mean, I don't like Tom Morris as a... Um, as an interviewer or a reporter, anyway, but putting that aside, when he he broke the story in inverted commas that uh, Luke Jackson was really unhappy and you know wanted to go back to WA and missed all of his friends and so on, I just wondered, you know, it's that kind of um, uh, unnecessary and unhelpful time type, type of commentary. And then during the game. Um, uh, with the Essendon game, whether it was me or not, I noticed that it was, we had six minutes to go in the in the second quarter before the commentators said anything really, you know, interesting about a Melbourne player, it seemed to me. And they were lauding the fact that um, Jackson's a terrific player. So, but that's six minutes left in the second quarter. All, all of the commentary in the first quarter and uh, a good part of the second quarter, at least, to me anyway, when I watched the replay, was all about, oh, you know, Jones and this one and Cox and so on and so on and Stringer, as you guys have been talking about anyway. Um, and I know that Max has said that uh, one of the things that's important for us is to to gain respect from the community, but I really don't feel as though we're getting that at the moment. And then just to finish that off um, with the first crack um, that, that Man was talking about on Sunday night, david king said well melbourne's got to win their grand final this year because after that you know the next three or four years are going to be the dogs so Again, I find that really frustrating that we just don't seem to be getting the respect, um, and and so I'm just interested in what you guys think about that. I've got one or two other little points um, after your comments, Andy.
0: Well, I didn't listen to the the commentary. I watched the uh, the KO mini replay, but that's really just highlights. So I don't didn't get a sense of that. So Man might be able to answer that. In in terms of I don't know what what King's talking about the the next few years of the Bulldogs, and it might be, but. Everyone's talking the Bulldogs this year as being the thing and not giving us the respect. And I'm not saying we should be the only ones talking about in terms of premiership. But def- Bulldogs are definitely the the darlings at the moment uh, in the media for the, who they think is going to win the flags. So I don't know uh, yeah, where King's coming from, and surely will be in the in the equation next year as long as we're fit. Uh, Man, can you talk about uh, the commentary? Whether is that uh, right?
2: Yeah, working back with the first one, I didn't hear that Tom Morris. I just saw some comment on Land. I thought it was a joke. But, you know, that's the first time I've heard that actually. You know, for me, that just fits into the, you know, people criticize um, Caroline Wilson. I'm a huge Caroline Wilson fan, um, and that that sort of model of um, reporting on football, she's the best at at the politics of football. But you know, there's so much content that needs to be filled, and then Tom Morris's and uh, Tom Brown and you know the uh, what's his name Sam McClure, you know they're just gossip mongers and they don't really you know just uh, you know that's not what sort of news is that a young man's um, you know, but where young did man they get his first career at a club that's premiership favourite on top of the ladder <laughs> wants to go home please where
0: where is he getting that is that just conjecture or does he think oh, that I that's a scoop I mean that's
2: what that's what frustrates me about that sort of reporting because he could they just blame their sources I don't know that's what I was told. Oh, um, because know, so it's just it's nonsense. i did so.
0: s- I did see someone post on on social media somewhere, one of uh, one of uh, Jackson's Instagram stories, and that's just like one of those uh, things that after twenty four hours it it's a post that goes away. Um it, it was a picture of him. Uh, from his waist down, and he had shoes on. that were uh, the, the Eagles' colours. They were uh, yellow with a blue stripe on it. I don't know if it was an Adidas was or something shoe or a Nike shoe um, that had those colours. Um, so, if he, it's it's very possible that Tom Morris took the story based on uh, that uh, Instagram post. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. And Tom Morris well, is a Melbourne
2: fan, it, and it's worth remembering that he got, I'm pretty right in saying, that didn't he used to do the Melbourne podcast? Yes. The Melbourne FC yeah. podcast, and he got taken off it.
0: Yeah, because of some okay. leaking uh, or, or, yeah. or something. Yeah, so I
2: think that shows where Legend. the club at. On the commentators, not, um, you know, I, I don't know about that. Like Maybe there is that element, um, I guess, a long, you know, 50 years of no success breeds a certain amount of enmity towards us. For me, it's a feature of my pet hate is how many ex-footballers dominate football commentary. And so someone like Darcy's grown up, you know, he's played a career playing against the Ds. He probably hated them as a footy club. And so it comes across, same with Brian Taylor, he clearly has some sort of issue with Melbourne Football Club. Um, so I, and I think actually the model we play, it's just not a very how exciting is it to watch another team get strangled? (laughs) You know, so much more exciting to see those young players running down the ground and, you know, so how often can you say, geez, this Melbourne system is impressive? Um, You know, someone like uh, Bartel, he loves it. Um, Someone like uh, on that that show, Terence, um, The First Crack, um, Montagna, he really loves the Melbourne system. So if you love that type of football and good coaching and good structure, well then you, you're a fan of the Demons. But they're not as exciting, obviously, as a as a Bulldogs the way they move the ball, um, you know. Um, and in terms of that, I heard that comment as well. I watched first crack, um, and. His point was how good the dogs are. They've got Norton and their age demographics, and um, that you know, it's essentially sort of implied they're going to win three of the next five flags. That they're set up for a um, dynasty, is what he said. Well, it's a funny sort of thing for a fellow who knows lists as well as he supposedly does. Arguably, we've got a much better age demographic than him. We just talked about it. We've got four players who are. Um, Um, getting the Rising Star nominations this year. We've got a really young team. We've got, you know, it was amazing to watch um, uh, Jackson, all the talk about Jackson. It's his 19th game he just played. He's 19 and he's taking 43, 44% ruck time. When's the last time that happened in the AFL? That's probably only Matt Nui would be anywhere similar to those sorts of numbers. Um, We've got a great demographic to set up for the next five, six years. So if I was the Dogs, I'd be worried about the Demons, not um, us
4: worried about
0: them. We were actually younger than the... Uh, baby bombers or this incarnation of the baby bombers that they're going on about uh, So we, we were younger uh, by a month uh, average uh, Terrence, no, I have one go I
4: have one last one and I know I keep talking about Fritz, uh, it's not a man love or anything like that but I do want to applaud the fact, I know he didn't score um, and Binman, um in a, in a gentle way, stole one of mine. Um, I really loved the two beautiful left foot kicks he did. One, he was, I want to say, the centre of the ground, and he kicked to Langdon, and it was just a beautiful um, left foot kick, really low, you know, hit Langdon on the chest. And as I recall, I think that that was the one that resulted in um, a, a Luke Jackson goal. I might be wrong when Langdon kicked it into the forward line. And then the other one was the one that Binman mentioned was um, just a, a short but really precise um, left foot kick into Petrarchus. So, so although he didn't score, he was involved in two score involvements, which I thought were really quite spectacular. So, my last comment was, I'm a bit embarrassed to say, put it down to my 70 years, when the, the game first started and I saw number seven on the ground, because I, I have no one to talk to about this, so I thought, who the heck's number seven? You know, where, where's he coming from? So, so, I'm a bit embarrassed to say that, so you probably won't call in again, Andy, but. Uh, but when I well, when I'm I realised that, Terence, oh my God, I'm in really <laughs> trouble. So, so, gentlemen, I'll leave it there. But thanks very much for the opportunity. Okay,
0: thank you very much, Terence. Appreciate awesome. the call. That was uh, Terence. Um, uh, all right, let's um, let's move on to uh, the GWS game, uh, in particularly to particular the changes. Ben, man, you say Bin, Ben Brown won't be in this week.
2: Won't's a bit strong. I reckon there's a good awesome. chance he won't be. I reckon the one change this week will be Jones in because he was simply fantastic. He was brilliant. Um, and um, Goody made a point about when talking about uh, Wiedemann and Brown in the presser that they will reward players in form. That's what will guide their selection policy.
0: Who um, comes out?
2: Oh, I think, unfortunately, for the young fella, Captain Jack's probably the one, as well as he played. Um, but he's the obvious sort of swap. I would have thought that's tough on him. But like you know, he'll get his chances again, and it's a tough game. You know, AFL. I saw our injury report this week. We've got three players um, on the injury list, and they're Hor, um, Nitski, T- yeah, Nitski, and um, uh, Tomlinson. That's it. Yeah. So we've got a full. Pretty much a full AFL list. He's a you know twenty-one year old kid. He'll get his chances. So I, I I just think they they'll have to reward it. He was awesome in that game, Jones. The best I've seen him play for ages. Kicked a beautiful goal. Played smart. Brought other players into the thing. If you read Richardson's comment about that, it's really interesting because I think he gives a real tell about one who they selected to talk about and two, how, what, how he talks about it. And he mentioned exactly what I'd put on Demon Land that you know Jones just showed such great leadership in that that game. Um, so I, I I think he'll come in for um, Sparrow, and that'll be the only change. Maybe Brown. I mean, he kicked five three, played well. They were happy with his movement. Um, uh, I just think they'll give him one more week to try and get him cherry right.
0: Um, could you? Uh, and I'm just playing devil's advocate because I didn't really see much of the reserves game, and not taking anything away from Jones's 32 or 35 possessions. But I'm just looking at the ladder, the VFL ladder now, and I see Essendon uh, have only won two games and are sitting 19th out of 22. Teams and the, the three teams below aren't uh, AFL listed uh, teams, so they're the lowest AFL listed teams. Does does that take any gloss off off even Ben Brown's and Jones's uh, games?
1: Not not really. I saw saw pretty mo- pretty well most of the game. The um, Jones's efforts were just fantastic. I think it wasn't only thirty two plus possessions, eighteen of them were contested, if I yep. remember. Um, he was just in everything. That it was as good a Jones games as as I've seen in the previous 300. He was just fantastic, regardless of the opposition. Um, he was it was the difference between AFL level players and VFL level players, and he was a, com- a complete standout. So um, he'll certainly be in the in the in the in the uh, I would imagine in in the first 22 this week. Um, I think Ben Brown will come in. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, though, that given that we last week we brought Viney in and didn't take a mid out, that we've now got an excess of mids. Uh, and I think the one who might fall out is A and B. Um, I know Goody loves him, but um, when, you, when you've got players who are seriously in form, um, knocking the doors down, you can't keep refusing them. Uh, a and B does a lot of running but he's not the player that you want with the ball in hand at the moment um, so I think he might easily drop out um, he didn't have a great deal of effect um, this week but um, I think we do need to bring 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 Ben Brown into the side we just need that extra tall up there that we've spoken about before and I think you'll also see players like Fritsch um, come better when you've got a got a Ben Brown in there. That uh, when he's not taking the second best defender as he uh, had to this week, um, like, he'll he'll like, suddenly become a target again. Like the
0: North Melbourne game where he kicked five, being in that yeah. situation.
1: Yeah, six. I think he kicked in that
2: game.
0: Yeah. Um. Uh, now we we talked a few weeks ago about uh, resting resting players. Uh. We're talking around the buy is is now still. Uh, Biman Man, is that on our radar? Do you reckon uh, guys like Cozzy, uh are they in line <coughs> to maybe have a rest? He didn't really do much this week. Um, would you give him a rest? Would you give anyone a rest?
2: Uh, you know what? Not now. I, I would have thought that the go was Collingwood and um, Essen. Like that's the structure around it because now we're getting into the the meat of the season, aren't we? Maybe, you know, if you are going to rest a player, this is the week, not – paying in you know not disrespecting GWS at all um but if you are if they are thinking about it they've got to do it in the next week or two because they've got to have their best finals team in the last four or five games to get some synergy together and to to get their best 22 so i mean Cozzy wasn't great was he you know like he works hard um he, he, he wasn't great against Collingwood either for that matter um and um you know maybe he does need to freshen up. I can't say, I I think if they were going to do it, it was Collingwood resting for that game um, and even the Essendon game. So, you know, they've been pretty consistent of playing their best 22 and I reckon they will. I can't say, um, I I honestly can't see Nibbler coming out ever. I I reckon Harms is more at risk than Nibbler um, just because how structurally, and I mean, that would be really harsh on Harms as well because, you know, he's um, become an important player. He's played well. Um, He can... Do the tagging role when needed, um, but I, I just think structurally Nibbler is too important. But you know, someone's got to come out. So um, if you know if you bring two players in, someone's going to come out, obviously. Um, so yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting, Andy, to see whether they rest anyone. And and Cosie probably could do with a, a rest. He looks not quite on, does he?
1: He was it was at the game. He was certainly. Um, um, as annoying as he normally is to the um, opposition, he's doing a lot of work that you're probably <laughs> yeah. going to see in the tele- on the television. Um, so, um, but it, it will be interesting how, what they um, what they decide to do this week. Uh, Harms was my next choice to drop out um, if he's doing a tagging role. Well, he did a pretty poor one on Merritt and um, uh, um, who was the other mid this week? Merritt and uh, and Parish. I don't reckon they tagged, though. <laughs> no, no, they, they didn't. They did. the, tr- the, truth is, the truth is they didn't tag. But if, if that's the case, why do you need um, yeah. um, Jones and, and Viney in there as well? Do you yeah. really need a Harms as well? Yeah,
2: exactly. I think that's exactly right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things about Nibla, Spargo and Cosy is that uh, – and Fritter to a lesser degree, is that it's really important to understand how much running they do and up the ground. Mm. So often when they get the ball, uh, you know, they're spent. Like they're they're spent when they're kicking the ball, which is, you know, um, so not only do they do lots of defensive running, uh, and they're really important from that perspective, they're running back up. Um, to the defence and back to the forward line. So when they do get their ball in the forward line, they're often just completely out of gas, and Frida is a fair bit um, of defensive running as well. So, yeah, like obviously big sort of selection headaches in that regard.
1: Nice to have, though. Yeah, so that's
2: it's nice to have. I think that's what – I haven't seen it yet, but that's what Stafford's is suggesting in the text that I've seen for that video, which –
0: Now, in terms of um, um, manning up uh, Toby Green, he gave us a bit of a headache last time. I think he kicked five. Um, Who are we going to man up on him? Does Hibbert get uh, the job or or somebody else? Uh, uh, Do they try Hunt? Um, I'm not sure he's good enough for Toby Green.
2: May's got to play on him. May's the only one strong enough. uh, He's he's an absolute star um, and... Like, he'll cut anyone up. You know, I reckon May's the only one strong enough to go with him over, overhead. Um, oh, who played on him last time? Do you remember? Yeah. Either of you guys?
1: Don't uh, was he injured the last time? I have no, a feeling not... he might have
2: missed that game.
1: Yeah.
0: As in May?
1: May, no. yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Um. Toby Green kicked five, didn't he, in that game yeah. against the yeah. Slap at Canberra?
0: He did. Can't remember. Yeah, we can yeah. uh, go back to the tape and <laughs> listen to what we said.
1: Um, yeah. I don't I don't think you can put anybody on Toby Green. You put on a small, he'll outrun them. You put on a tall, he'll outjump them. Um, he, is, he is just simply a brilliant player who will give him five possessions and he'll get five goals. Mm. Um, he's he's just that brilliant. All you've got to do is limit limit the uh, other players in the side. If C- Toby kicks five and nobody else gets anything, then you yeah. win the game. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. but he's just a brilliant, brilliant player. And, and he's the sort of player, George, in that situation, exactly as you say,
2: even though we're dominated, when you get to 11 points, you know, random things can happen. And he's the sort of player that can make a random thing happen and win a game off his own boot in that situation because yeah. he's he's a gun, isn't he? yeah.
0: Now, if you recall, last time we played them, it uh, was in round three, uh, they used uh, a DeBoer on uh, Clary, just was hassling him all night, just, just getting into his face, putting him off his game. And I think, um, you yeah, know, Clary didn't have a great game that, that night. Um, so is there any way we can sort of negate that? Is that where you sort of use a harms to sort of, you know, intercept him? Uh, at the stoppages
2: That's where you use a viney, oh, viney, to yeah. smash it and, viney. More, and that's what yeah. That's something that we've missed Because you know That's what viney will do If viney gets instruction to Tackle and hit um, and smash Into the boar, then he'll Do that from the beginning of the game to the end of the game um, I can't recall if I don't think viney was playing in that um, game Up in Sydney and uh, Canberra From memory I don't think so either Yeah um, yeah, he's exactly the pl- – that's one of the things they've missed. And it was interesting in that VFL game, George, how well Vanders played. And he plays a similar style, like, you know, yeah. that um, he just targets players' body and he tackles good. Um, so, you know, that's – I think come finals he's a chance, as I said last week, to get in just because Goody loves that sort of player who's going to put on
1: hurt, basically. Yeah, totally agree with that. That was, as again, as good a game I've seen from Vanders. It was – um, like his game in the 2018 finals, he he just pushed players aside and he was the only one who was going to uh, get the ball at times and I loved his um, uh, la- last goal that he gave to Ben Brown in the yeah. end where he intercepted at the 50 metre mark. But He read that well, didn't he? He read that brilliantly. More importantly, he was fit. Yeah, um, and, that's and he's been... moving well.
2: He seems to be yeah. moving really well, like as good as I've seen him. So, you know, he could be a real wild card and um, you know, Goody loves him and for good reason and like in terms of come finals, you need players who are gonna break tackles and, and go through them.
1: Yeah. Interestingly, um I had a look at a, a little bit at the Hawks uh, GWS game um uh, from last week. Hawthorne demolished him. it was the scoreboard might be a little bit um generous to them uh in that respect, but Hawthorne beat them in every single single um statistic. Except for center clearances, and and we've we've learnt that uh, center clearances don't mean don't mean uh, all that much. Thanks, but, George. Uh, the the only yeah the only thing that that um, uh, they they exceeded them on was turnovers. So uh, GWS managed seventy eight turnovers in the game to Hawthorne sixty six. You know, so the only only thing they really won for the whole game, effectively, was a negative type of uh, statistic. Um, so that, that, yep. Sorry, Josh. Yeah. So that that was interesting. The other the other interesting thing, and I think the big positive for us was Mumford wasn't playing in this game. I can't remember why. Whether he's been injured again or is just suspended, I I just can't remember off the, off the top of my head. But uh, without Mumford, they're a completely different side. Um, Mumford just. Effectively throws himself at the opposition ruckman, and we you know, we're really dependent on Gorn getting um, first hands on the ball and around the ground uh, in particular. But uh, if Mumford's not there this week, it'll be a big positive for us. Well, Mumford, yeah, I was going to say
0: uh, on Mumford the back didn't. Place, pl- sorry, uh, Mumford didn't play the last time we played them either. Go ahead, George. Mm. Uh, go ahead, man.
2: Uh, so I was going to say that the on the back of your comments, George, is that they're a funny team to watch from a sort of game plan and tactics GWS because, you know, if you wanted to boil it down to their identifiable brand, it's win the contest. Now, that's the same for us and same for Bulldogs, same for any club, I guess. But there's not much else. Uh, and if they lose the contest, they get they get beaten because structurally they don't move the ball very well. Like, you know, we're, we're, Melbourne... Are, uh, I love watching us play because we've got this balance now between a defensive strong, but we're not, you know, as boring, say, as the Pies were under Malthouse, which were ultra-defensive, or even the Ds under Ruse, for that matter, um, because, you know, and we're also getting our tempo game. You know, when they did push in the second quarter we slowed that game up really cleverly, I thought. Um, but then we combine that with some really sort of high-wire type ball movement down the boundary line with lots of handballs and getting it forward and exciting contests. Um, and GWS don't have that, and they've sort of always been stuck with that um having so many players with high skills, that using their skills to move the ball because they were such brilliant kicks. So they had Kelly and, you know, they've they've always had really good kicks and still they've got a few, but they just haven't got enough anymore for that model to be, you know, that orange tsunami they talk about is really based on, brilliant precision kicking moving it forward they still want to get it moving forward they're a territory team and but if they lose the contest they're in trouble I mean sim- similarly for us I guess but we've got other ways of getting of, get, of um, putting a score together other than just meat and potatoes winning a contest and I saw a bit of that game too George and uh, they for a team they win, win that game they're in the finals then they yeah. sorry they're in the eight um, and um, they let a sort of young Hawks team bully them basically. So I I suspect that's not good for us because they'll come out hard, um, you'd expect. Um, You know, they're in the second week in Melbourne, so that's going to be tough for them. But I reckon beware that because they'll, you know, I think that they'll be stung by that. Um, Cameron will have gone through them like those assaults and I'll expect that they'll come out hard. But, you know, Melbourne's a hard team to bludgeon into submission, I reckon. So
0: Mumford went out, he... Went out the week before last week, injured, but he's not listed on their injury list as as being injured. Um, so I'm not sure what's uh, what's happening there. If that's an omission, and he's not on it, or Terence
2: just Terence just noted in the chat room that um, Maxi reckons that uh, he's going to come in this week. So yeah. um, didn't you know, the, those two have had a history? So. Mm. And uh, hopefully he doesn't get hit round the head again.
0: The injury list is uh, uh, Coniglio who, who injured his ankle against us, I believe uh, the last time is listed as a test. so I'm not sure whether he's coming in or not. Um, the other thing uh, you said Viney wasn't playing last time. we played them and in fact was, but May did no. not that May was had the, yeah. that was the week he was out with that uh, eye socket injury.
2: Yeah, I reckon I, you know, I, I can because yeah, t- um, Green plays almost as a truthful forward, doesn't he, George? Like he plays yeah. out of the square, yeah. he leads, pushes up hard, but um, he plays almost as a truthful forward. And I think May's the obvious um, one. He'll be way too strong for Petty. They don't want Lever on him. You know, um, they want Lever sort of free and intercepting. So, um, and I reckon he's a little bit. I mean, and no, this is no disrespect to Hibbard he's probably got Hibbard's measure, so May's um, the only one I'd be really confident of matching.
0: Anything else in regards to that game? Um, you want to talk about tactics or anything?
2: Well, yeah, just as I say, I mean I'm just so pleased' I've, i got a ticket. <laughs> so and it uh, was hard because I was going with friends, um, but I couldn't get multiple tickets. So I eventually said, sorry, I'm going to have to get a solo ticket because there were single tickets you could get, but not any more than one. So um, I'm just wrapped to be going to the footy. Um, you know, I think, I, I, as I said, I think they'll come out pretty hard. They're a hard footy team. I, I, I like the Giants. We have a lot of time for them. Um, I really hope they do well as a footy club. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to a good uh, contested match. Um, it would be great, as we talked about last week, if it would be great to get on top, take our chances early and, you know, not to grind out a 12-point, 15-point, 25-point win. It would be nice to, to put a team away.
0: Oh, I've been saying that all year. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, that's my well, one wish to around, Andy. On, on one game where I can just sit back and enjoy and not uh, not be nervous the whole time. But is it back to 85 uh, it's 85% Um yeah, not it's... till
2: Friday, and so that's why I think that they've only released the 25,000 tickets now, ah. and then it's not till July 1 that they do that, um, and so then presumably they'll release more tickets on the Friday should the, the government, but the government hasn't announced formally that it's gone to 85% yet.
0: Well, I don't so hence, <laughs> we no tickets. I don't think we'll be uh, expecting 85,000 people at that game no, anyway.
2: no. But, so I wanted to get my ticket just in case there is a <laughs> one COVID on, on Thursday. But the other thing is going to be wet, and that's the prediction is to be slippery. So that sort of, you know, I'm not sure what that means for the probably, you know, probably helps us because we like to sort of get it forward. And but um, hopefully it's not too well.
1: Nothing else about this game, but wasn't it nice to be able to see we had 20 listed players playing with Casey. And wasn't it nice to be able to see for the first time, effectively for us, people like Rosman and Bowie and, and even the return of Vandenberg and Jones playing the way he did? Um, even. But what, what really impressed me about it was um, the... This while well, it's just words that come from the coaching staff about um, informed players and players need to prove themselves. Just how much work that people like Wiedemann and Melcham were appeared to be doing in this yeah. game. I um, thought Melcham was really good. Yeah, um, Vandenberg again. Um, just how he was just relentless the whole game, and and this is what's <laughs> the message seems to be getting through that if you want to be in this senior side, and we're Certainly challenging for for the ultimate prize this year. If you want to get into that side before the end of the season, you're going to have to work real hard. And it's um, uh, interesting to see how hard some of those players were working compared to what uh, certainly I was seeing at the AFL level when they had their opportunities.
2: Yeah, I thought Melksham really jumped out, um, and and also Weed as well. Fair play to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know Melksham tackled; he had four tackles, I think. Um, worked hard up and ground. He was almost. I think he pretty much played as a mid, sort of halfback or half, back yeah, short, half yeah. forward mid. Um, kicked a beautiful left foot kick um, up the field off his left to um, a forwards advantage on the half forward flank. And and for me, I thought you know, ha- having missed butchered so many inside fifties that we did, you know, missing targets. That's why he's a. You know, if he plays with any level of intensity, he'll come back into that team come final. So, again, I'm not sure he's going to come out, but, um, you know, I think they want him in for exactly that. So I, I was pretty impressed and I, I thought Bowie was good too. WA Demon Boy asks in the thread about, um, you know, who we might need to trade in next year and or do we think that um, guys like Bowie and Laurie are developing nicely? And personally, I think, though, that's the first time I've seen Laurie. Um, mm. I love, we've talked about this before, but I love um, that how natural a footballer, Bowie, Laurie, even Rosman, who's got a bit of X factor, but uh, that was the first time, obviously, I'd seen that. Yeah. Is it Duncan that we drafted him?
0: Yeah, well, his it would name? have been his first game because uh, we haven't yeah,
2: played. Yeah, yeah, and saw They look like natural footballers. They, yeah. Yeah. they look Turner. like kids who play footy. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, What were your thoughts on trading in in terms of do you think we need to sort of trade any sort of big player in or just keep going through the draft?
0: Um, Well, I'm not sure what's that. I don't even know what our situation is in terms of of money-wise, whether we have money to to go after a big target or or someone Um, position-wise. I would... I mean, selfish. I'd, l- I'd love to be in the conversation to get uh, uh, Chera from, uh, from from Frio, who's who Carlton seem to have the, have their mitts on. Uh, that'd be fantastic to have Langdon on one wing and him on the other one. But I, I don't think that's gonna gonna happen. But um, I don't know. I'm, ha- I'm sort of happy with the way we've we've drafted. Um, we've got a good good hit rate in the last few years, so I'm prepared to back them. But um, it'd be nice to go after someone if we need I, to I the a position.
1: Da- I think the danger is, as football fans, and it, it keeps Demonland going for three or four months of the year <laughs> with all sorts of draft um, proposals and what we should have been getting and what we could get and how much we're going to pay for them and things like that, is that um, we've got 40-plus um, players at the moment who are <laughs> challenging for 22 holes come the end of the year. Um, yeah. uh, the The... I, I can't see any glaring weakness that requires us to fill uh, with a player of high calibre um, that we're not going to spend an awful lot of money on. Um, we've seen plenty of examples over the year. Buckley at Collingwood, Judd at Carlton, um, even Carlton again with you know, Saad and Williams this year spending a lot of money and getting very little results for um, I'm prepared to, to back Jason Taylor to pick out someone who's um, got the quality and the talents to fit in with the team that we've got rather than trying to create something uh, from from the ground level up. Um, so um, I'd be sticking with what we got and keep on developing the people like the Bowies, who, who to me looks like a, a, a ready-made replacement for that small team. Um, defender uh, role he's already taking kick-ins at uh, case level he's that quality um, disposer of the ball uh, these are the the holes as you, re- you progressively replace you know he'll, he'll be replacing probably Nev Jetta when it, towards the end of the year um, we've got a couple of other players who'll be getting to that uh, stage in their career we've got a few who obviously haven't made the mark but um, keep developing keep keep bringing the players through. That was the Hawthorne model that got them uh, three premierships in a row. So, um, yeah, I think we should be following the same route. Uh, I totally
2: agree. And I think that's why the sort of comment about the dogs, you know, being in a sort of window that where they could win three or four as i said we've got a fantastic list demographic we've got some high-end talent that's around the 26 27 mark jones is our oldest player i think isn't he he's sort of um but he's an outlier in terms of age maybe Hibbard's 28 you know so and then maybe milksham too but then you know the rest is 26 down um and you know i think you know uh, te- uh, sorry um Taylor has really done a great job in bringing those, filling those holes, and they've given his, you know, they've given Taylor his head to a degree. Um, and I, I read um, on, I think it was the MFC site a, a few weeks back, or perhaps somewhere else, is that there's a young Ruckman that um, we might be able to get through the um, academy. George, you probably know more about that, but that sounds, you know, quality player who we might be able to get um, uh, through that system. Um, so. Um, you know that would, that's probably the one area who's going to come up behind um, max Gawn.
0: yeah I think the deal with that that guy is as long as he's not a top 20 yeah um, yeah he's that's ours. Right. so um, and as we know ruckman do take a bit longer to develop uh, just on your point with the bulldogs I think uh the hype around them isn't just so much on their current team which obviously that contributes to that but the fact that they've still got that Jamara waiting to come in yeah. as well as them having first dibs at uh, Darcy's son uh, who's been kicking bags uh, at school level um, and was yeah, uh, six, six in the, in the Championship. Metro. Championship. Yeah. Yep. So I they, think that's right that's, exactly that's sort right. of uh, them talking about dynasties in terms of that but uh, they were talking about GWS and dynasties and that didn't uh, really go anywhere so um you know things can yeah. turn around very quickly in the AFL world. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but just and the last one thing on Bowie, the, uh, another thing I was impressed with is uh, really courageous as well. He, I saw him uh, sort of fly back uh, in a pack to spoil um, in backline for such a small guy. Uh, you like to see that stuff, so I'm excited for him.
2: Mm, he looks good. Yeah.
0: Mm. All right, boys. I think uh, I think we're going to end it there. Thank you. Just one final thing Andy, yeah, just it.
2: about the BFL game, yep. just wanted to shout out to Neville Jetta is oh. that I can't recall ever loving a player at the Melbourne Footy Club as much as Neville Jetta and um, I just, it was great watching him play, it was great watching him um, sort of just the way he is with the younger players, such a great person to have at the footy club. I'm so pleased that, you know, of course he didn't go to Collingwood but that yeah. You know, I'm really hoping that they can find a role for him um, when he does retire. Um, and on that the replays, so I watched the replay of the last quarter. I watched the first three quarters live um, and watched the sort of second half again on the, on the telecast. It started, for some reason, three minutes into the game and it finished two minutes short. Um, and so, uh, you know, he had a shot at um, goal at one point. I thought, oh, it would have been nice if he kicked a goal. And then on the MFC side, they've got all the VFL goals. Uh, and he kicks the last goal of the game running through the centre and kicks from, you know, 50, 40 metres out direct, and kicks a beautiful goal. And just the, the, the way his teammates embraced him, it was one that was fantastic to watch, but it, it just really warmed my heart to see how much his teammates love him. Jones was in there and, you know, the whole, it seemed like it was about 10 players hugging him and um, it was just fantastic. So, yeah, just wanted to shout out to Nev.
0: One of the things, it was so, we talk about hardening to see, one of the the best things I saw from that game was both Jones and Jetta in the middle of the ground for a, for a centre, centre ball up. Uh, it was a great sight to see. All right, I think we're going to leave it uh, there uh, for this week. Um, Thank you to uh, B-Man, thank you, George, and thank you, Terence, for calling in. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about the GWS game. Go Demons. Go Redlegs. Come on.